Well, thank you all for worshiping through singing. And now we're going to spend some time worshiping through the word together. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, open it up to Revelation chapter 21. It's the very last book of the Bible and the next to last chapter in that book. So we're almost at the very end of the Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to look at the first five verses. Uh, and if you've been reading chapter a day with this, uh, you'll know that uh, we just completed reading the book of Revelation together. And in fact, today we're starting the book of Proverbs. And so if you're not yet part of our chapter a day reading, man, brand new year, beginning of the year, it'd be a great time to join in on that. Uh, you can text the word chapter to 22828, start a new pattern of reading a chapter of the Bible every day. Uh, if you'll text chapter to 22828, you'll get an email every morning uh, that has that day's chapter and some explanation of it and some application for your life. And so I hope that you'll be part of that with us if you're not already. Uh, but as I said, we just finished Revelation, and so we're going to look at part of that today. Um, now, I know we've got uh, some kids in the room this morning. In fact, I love these days when we're all together and have kids in the room with us. Um, so I just sort of need to know who you are, where you are. If you're, say, 10 and under, could you just raise your hand and wave at me so I can kind of see? All right, I'm seeing some all around the room. Great. Let me ask you guys that just waved to me. Let me ask you a question. Uh, when you watch a movie or a show... As you're just starting it, do you like to already know how it ends? Or do you like to just sort of find out once you get there? Let me ask you adults, same question. If you're watching a movie or maybe reading a book for you, uh, do you like to know the end? Are you one of those that you go ahead and ask how it ends or you flip to the last page? Any of those you just sort of need to know before you can enjoy the rest of it? Few of you. How many of you just want to wait and see? You like the surprise? All right, that's the majority of you. All right, great. That's sort of just a matter of preference, but there's a pretty strong preference in this group. Um, but there are some things in life where it really is helpful to know how it ends before you even start. Uh, think, for example, of somebody building a house. Isn't it a pretty good idea to know what you're going for before you just start building? I don't know any contractors that get a group together, walk out to an area, and just start pouring concrete and nailing boards together and say, well, let's just see how this thing goes. <laughs> kind of see what sort of floor plan we end up with. You know, could be fun. I don't know any entrepreneurs that ever started a business that way. Let's just hire a staff and get a space and go, let's just kind of see what business comes out of this. Typically, you want to know the product or the service, and you work toward that. There are some things it's really good to know the end from the beginning. The Bible tells us that life itself is one of those things, that it's really helpful to know where all this is headed. It's helpful to know how this ends. Why? I think part of the reason is we have this tendency at times to live as though this current life is all there is. And we don't think about anything beyond that. And that can lead to some real problems if we lose sight of the end. And by that, I mean what we often call heaven or we sometimes call the eternal state, meaning what things will be like forever after Jesus returns. That's the end we're talking about today. And if we lose sight of that end, it can lead to all sorts of problems. 
it can lead to despair. As you look around the world and see all that's wrong in the world, it can lead to sort of a sense of hopelessness. In your own life, it can lead to being overly discouraged on those difficult days or difficult seasons that we're all going to face. It can lead to uh, just living for temporary treasures and pleasures instead of for what's eternal. And so my goal for us this morning on this New Year's Day is really pretty straightforward and kind of simple. It's really to help us think about heaven. To help us think about eternity, to set our minds on the end. So that the end can shape how we live in the present. And particularly on a day or maybe a week, as a lot of us are sort of evaluating our lives and thinking about new patterns and maybe new opportunities in a new year, or just thinking about what may be coming for us or our families this coming year, it's going to be very helpful for us if we keep the end in mind. And so we're going to look at part of that in Revelation 21. Uh, Now, the book of Revelation was written by John. Uh, God gave him visions of much of what would happen and will happen in the future. Uh, Just before this, he's talked about when Jesus comes back and uh, comes to reign in his fullness on the earth and uh, will defeat finally and fully in every sense his enemies. And then he says in chapter 21, verse 1, He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now that last phrase is interesting, isn't it? That there's no more sea. Why is that? I think most likely it's because throughout the Bible, the sea is often associated with evil and God's judgment on that evil. Uh, Think, for example, of the flood. It's God's judgment on the sin in the world. Think about when God parted the Red Sea for his people to get through during the Exodus. They made it safely, but what happened to the Egyptians who were chasing them? The sea swallowed them up as an act of judgment. Or go all the way to Revelation 13 when it says a beast who is clearly opposed to God's people. The beast will come out of the sea. And so when it says there'll be no more sea, I think most likely he's he's telling us that there'll be no more sin, no more evil, no more judgment. It really will be a new day. Things will be very different in a positive way for us. And so this seems to, to be about more than just the material creation, the material world. But it does include that. So write this in. The one thing we learn in this verse is that creation will be restored, a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, You know, as soon as sin entered the world, never since, there's been some conflict between humans and creation. Remember, part of the curse right away in Genesis 3 was that Adam would have to deal with thorns and thistles. And you have thorns and thistles in your yard Shrubs, or maybe as you go on hikes through the woods, you deal with them. Uh, I don't know about you, but I do not like thorns and thistles. There's some conflict between me and creation. Uh, Sometimes you see it in the animal world. Of course, there's some animals we get along with great, can have a great relationship with. There are others, not so much. For me, one of those is snakes. 
greatly affect how I experience nature. Especially, I, I read one time that in the state of Georgia, you're probably never more than 10 feet away from a snake when you're outside. I have no idea if that's true, but I do know it's in my head every time I step outside. I barely enjoy being outside, just looking for snakes all the time. And I know most of them aren't venomous and they're more scared of you. I know all that. I also know I'm terrified of them. There's conflict. We see it with natural disasters that cause significant suffering in the world. A variety of ways there's conflict, and God's created this world for us, and we can enjoy a lot of it to an amazing extent, but not fully, but it won't always be that way. Here's how Isaiah described it in Isaiah 11. He said, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Creation will be restored and God's people will get to enjoy it. You'll get to live in a world like that forever. Not only that, it keeps going. Verse 2, he says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And listen to this, God himself will be with them as their God. Would you write this in? Here's the essence of heaven. It's that we will be with our God. It's a theme, literally from beginning to the end of the Bible, of God coming to be with us. Uh, you see it from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden as God walked among them in the garden, even after they sinned. God was pursuing them. You see it in the tabernacle and the temple, which represented God's presence here with his people. Certainly see it when Jesus came to earth. We just celebrated at Christmas. What does the Bible say? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And even when he ascended back into heaven, he said, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to send you a helper. And he sent us his spirit who actually indwells his people. And then here at the very end of the Bible, what do we see? It's God coming to be with us, to dwell with us. We'll be his people in his presence forever. You know, I've, um, I've been in different places. I've seen some really impressive buildings that just stand out to me for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of those would be uh, the Hancock Building in Chicago. Um, it's an amazing building, beautiful building right on the lake. And you can go all the way up to the top and eat in the restaurant up there. It's one of my favorite places to go. Or uh, not too long ago, I was in Washington, D.C. and went to the Capitol and sat on the steps right there, the Capitol Building. It's an amazing building. It's incredibly impressive. 
Another one would be Buckingham Palace. You just stand in front of that palace. It is incredible. But you know my favorite building anywhere? It's only about 10 minutes from here. It's my house. (laughs) My favorite building in the whole world. And it's not just because I love the structure so much, although I do. I love the neighborhood, and I love the floor plan. I like the look of it. There are reasons we decided that's the house we wanted to live in. But the reason I love it so much is that that's the primary place where my family and I spend time together. And it's that togetherness that provides the meaning, that makes it such a special place. Listen, Revelation 21 tells us that the place is going to be amazing. In fact, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 21 and 22. Uh, Maybe read that over lunch when you get home or tonight before you go to bed. It describes a lot about the place, and it is amazing what God is preparing for us, and we shouldn't miss that. But the best part of it is that we'll be with our God in that place, in his presence forever. I love what David said in Psalm 27. He said, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Here it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's saying, one thing I want more than anything else is to be in the presence of the Lord and enjoy him forever. And for those of us that know the Lord, and that resonates with us, that's what we want too, isn't it? And Revelation 21 assures us that that desire will in fact be satisfied. It will be fulfilled. God dwelling with us, us with him forever. What a great promise. Can we look at the next few verses? It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So would you write this in? That in the eternal state, in the end, for God's people, there will be no sadness, no death, no suffering. In other words, we won't suffer the horrible effects of sin anymore. The effects of sin that are so prevalent in our world right now. There will be nothing, literally nothing, that causes any sort of pain or sadness. I mean, think about just some of the things we experience right now that we put in that category. Again, kids in the room, 10 and under, you still with me? You guys still here? Okay, great. Let me ask you guys, have you ever been sick? Have you guys ever been sick? Yeah, a lot of us have been sick. Uh, is that fun to be sick? No. Even if it's not a big kind of serious sickness, you know, some aren't a big deal in the big picture, I know, but it's still not fun, it's inconvenient, it can disrupt life, it's really uncomfortable. Can you imagine living in a world where nobody ever gets sick ever again? And of course, some sicknesses, some diseases are much more serious and do actually lead to death. Imagine a world with no cancer. Imagine a world with no pandemics ever again. 
Imagine a world with no other sources or causes of death. Imagine a world with no other sources of other types of pain and sadness and suffering. A world with no hurt feelings. A world where nobody ever mistreats you. Nobody ever says a hurtful word to you. There's no sadness, there's no tears, there's no pain of any kind. You might think, how in the world can that be? I don't know if I can imagine that world. I mean, that's... Well, it's because the Bible tells us in 1 John 3 that when Jesus comes back, we will be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be perfected, or we sometimes call glorified. How can you have a world where there's no pain or sadness? It's because everybody in it is literally perfect. It's a world in which you will love everyone else perfectly and completely all the time, and everyone else will love you perfectly and completely all the time. Where does that leave us? Well, write this in. What will there be then? Well, there will be, write it in, perfect joy, peace, righteousness. We could probably add some other words to that, but gives us some idea of what it will be like. That'll be our experience forever. Doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound like a world you'd want to live in forever? So let's sum it up this way. What have we seen? We'll write it in. For those who are in Christ, eternity involves perfected people enjoying a perfected creation in the presence of a perfect God. And so what should we do with that today on a New Year's Day? How can this help us live faithfully now and in this coming year? Well, I want to suggest a few things. One, if you're in Christ, if you've already repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, here are a couple ways that keeping the end in mind can really be helpful. For one thing, this is a reminder that this current life is temporary. And that heaven is forever. And it puts this life in perspective then. It sort of begs the question, what are you really investing in? What is it you're living your life for? Are you really just chasing after temporary pleasures and treasures? Or are you investing in things that have eternal significance? And so as you're deciding how you're going to spend this year, how you're going to spend your time and your energy and your money, keep the end in mind. We also need to remember that that Revelation was written uh, originally to followers of Jesus who were facing some really difficult days, facing lots of significant opposition, including some persecution. And it was written to encourage them to stay faithful, to keep following Jesus even in the face of that kind of opposition. And so let me say to you today, no matter how hard life may get at times, no matter what challenges you might face, no matter what opposition you may face, whatever persecution or pressures you might feel this year, friends, Revelation 21 tells us that the best really is yet to come. The way things are is not the way they will be forever. A better day is in fact coming, and it is an encouragement for us to know that from the beginning. 
And so whatever comes your way this year, whatever challenges you might face, keep the end in mind. Raises one more question I think we need to address. And that's, is this the end, what we've just seen, is this the end for everybody, completely? Everybody in the world, is this what they can expect in the end? And the answer is no. The Bible says this is the end for those who have repented of their sin and believed in Jesus. Everyone else, the Bible says, will actually be cast into a lake of fire and suffer God's wrath eternally. In fact, let's skip down to the very last verse of this chapter. See it on your listening outline? It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, this place that's been described in the presence of the Lord. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Book of Revelation teaches us that when you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. And those are the ones who will experience this glorious end. Ruthanna Metzger is a professional singer who once was asked to sing at a wedding, and she did, and afterwards she headed to the reception. Here's how she describes it, what happened. She says, the reception was held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, and it was even more wonderful than I imagined. There were waiters wearing snappy black tuxedos who offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages for the most discriminating taste. The atmosphere was one of grace and sophistication. A gentleman with a lovely bound book greeted us as we reached the top of the stairs. May I have your name, please? She said, I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy Metzger. The gentleman searched the M's. I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? I spelled it slowly and clearly. After searching throughout the book, the gentleman looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name is not here. Without your name in this book, you cannot attend this banquet. Oh, there must be some mistake, I replied. I'm the singer. I sang for this wedding. The gentleman calmly answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend this banquet. She said, we were led to the service elevator, stepped in, and the waiter himself pushed G for garage. As Roy drove out the Columbia Tower garage, we both remained silent. After driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and gently put his hand on my arm. Sweetheart, what happened? And then I remembered. When the invitation arrived for the reception, I was very busy and I never bothered to return the RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. As we drove on, I began to weep. I was not weeping because I had just missed the most lavish banquet of my life. But I was weeping because suddenly I knew what it will be like someday for people as they stand before the entrance of heaven. People who were too busy to respond to Christ's invitation to his heavenly banquet. People who assumed that the good things they had done, even perfect church attendance or singing in the choir, would be good enough to gain entry to heaven people who will look for their name in the Lamb's book of life 
and not find it there. And then I wept again because I was so grateful that I had many years earlier received Christ as my personal savior and I can be confident that my name is written in the most important book of all, the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, can I ask you this morning, are you confident that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you confident that what we've seen in Revelation 21 is in fact the end for you? If not, let me encourage you to repent of your sin, to turn away from that and to place your faith in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, so that your name might be added to the Lamb's book of life. If you're wondering, well, how do I do that? You'll see on your listening outline there a prayer. Uh, you wouldn't have to pray these exact words, but you'd pray something like this. You'd say, dear God, I know that I've disobeyed you and failed to meet your perfect standard. But I believe that Jesus died for me, that he came back to life and that he is Lord. Will you please forgive my sins and give me new eternal life so that I can enjoy a relationship with you now and forever. Amen. And if you pray a prayer like that today or this week or in the days ahead, I mean, I'd love for you to let us know that. You can go to ingleside.org slash connect or uh, you can email one of our pastors. Our email addresses are on the church website. We would love to hear from you and celebrate with you and talk about some next steps. Oh, it'd be a great way to begin a new year, wouldn't it? To celebrate new life in Christ and to know for sure that what we've seen this morning will be the end for you. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for these glorious promises, these precious truths, this amazing end that you have promised those of us in Christ. Father, I pray that your spirit would work these promises into our hearts and minds in such a way that it would actually affect how we live our lives. Father, I pray for your favor in this new year uh, for us as individuals, as families, as a church family. Lord, may this be a year of great flourishing, all for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.